0: Amen. Thank you. Shalom. For reminding us of the holiness of God as we uh, continue this love revolution and looking at some, some of the difficult relationships. But I just want to say, uh, again, I'm thankful last week, last weekend, uh, I left you, the uh, 1,400 righteous people who need no repentance, to be with 85 men who are desperate, needy sinners on, on our men's retreat. But, but I had to have somebody who, you know, left the 85 to be with the 1,400. And so uh, Rob Bloss preached the word here. And, yeah, great message. Rob has just uh, been here a little more than a year as our executive pastor. What a tremendous addition he's been to our staff and uh, tremendous help to us so many ways. Um, if, if Bryce Harper is as good an addition to the Phillies as Rob Bloss has been here, he'll hit like 78 home runs. So let's, let's hope for that. And uh, you know, it just seems like Rob is so gifted at every category of ministry he does, certainly preaching, certainly the sermon is a really important sermon in this series, uh, and, and I haven't really found anything uh, up to this point that he's not good at but I did watch the sermon um, and and, and I, I love his optimism about like how good he's going to look in old age but I, I but I think like the um, the the preaching moves do need a little work um, so he just makes it look a little too gracious it's meant to jolt you back awake it's not meant to look good, so, um, but anyway, what a, what, a, what a great thing, and what a great message, because that message about um, taking the image of God, which we see in everybody else, if we don't see it in ourselves, then we're going to not be able to draw water from that life-giving truth that everybody has uh, an ineradicable worth that they are endowed with and created with. Uh, And we're not going to be able to love other people with that unless we look in the mirror and say, that applies to me too. Uh, And so if you didn't catch that message, you'll want to catch that message. Uh, Because today we talk about how while everybody bears infinite worth in their being, there are times where people don't walk worthily of that, and that presents challenges to our relationships. So how do you deal with somebody who is sabotaging their own life or maybe trying to sabotage your life? Uh, and that's the difference between having infinite worth and also living that out in a worthy way. Uh, And we're gonna look at categories of relationships, and then we're gonna look at the character qualities of those relationships, and then we're gonna look at combinations of those relationships. Categories, character, and combinations. Uh, and uh, three of the categories in the Bible that you can't escape, and I know we, we live in a world that doesn't want to accept even basic categories of morality, uh, but the book of Proverbs, uh, almost 4,000 years old, says that there are three categories if you study it. There's the, the wise person, who uh, we're going to look at what that means. There's the foolish person uh, and the evil person. Uh, and those are three categories. They aren't permanent categories. You can go from being wise to evil. You can go from foolish to wise. Uh, But they are categories that we live out. And Proverbs 24 lists all three of them. uh, But throughout the book, they're listed. So let's read God's word, and then we'll break into this lesson. It says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. So you take those terms, and if you look all through the book of Proverbs, um, the reality is We play those different roles, and we are surrounded by people who are living out those three different categories, and we can't escape relationships. We're in relationships with all those different kinds of people, and we spend time dipping into living that way. And the reality is, uh, people who study relationships say that in a year, we'll have between 500 and 2,500 interactions, meaningful interactions. If you're an introvert, maybe 500. Uh, If you're an extrovert, maybe 2,500. Uh, but those same studies say that in a given week, 40% of our time is absorbed completely by about five people, which helped me make sense of my life because we have five kids, which that means why I always felt tapped out, you know. <laughs> um, but, but just a few people, and it's important that we understand what those relationships are. I mean, they're priority relationships. The reality is if we have disordered loves and disordered relationships, we'll live in disordered lives. Uh, and so we looked in this series, the first relationship is God, to love God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul. And out of that, then, the, the, the second tier relationships are, uh, after God, um, if you're married, your spouse. Uh, not your family, not your kids, because you're going to love your spouse with a uh, with a priority and with a weight and a consistency and focus that you don't love your children with because eventually your children are going to leave. And so marriages get destroyed when they become child-centered, and people depend upon their children to give them the kind of nurture and emotional support that they should find in their spouse and if their spouse is not providing it they shouldn't focus that load on their children uh, and people shouldn't treat other people in the place of God if you if you look for someone to be your god they can't fill out that resume and so you'll destroy that relationship because that's a relationship that the weight of that wasn't meant to bear and so we need to love people according to their priority because disordered loves will lead to disordered lives. And, so, uh, and, and yet that love is to be expansive and, and appropriately expressed. And so in the whole category of, of the people we allow access and that we collaborate with, again, the quality of a life is really measured in the richness of relationships. And, and Proverbs, again, speaks this out very much, but because God is a relational God in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God was never lonely. He didn't create the world out of loneliness. There was the fullness of being, and he never had to learn out of love. Um, and, and, and so he's called us to, to live. We need those relationships. So they, we can get very confused about what relationships are really to be the essence and focus of our life. And, and you know, uh, social media really can confuse us. I mean, I remember telling my kids one time, I said, you know, somebody just friended me who I haven't had a conversation with since kindergarten. I mean, literally. I remember, five years old, we were at the same table. (laughs) He wore white pants on the first day of school and got teased, and I defended him, and we became fast friends. (laughs) Um, But we haven't had a conversation since, and I mean, I'm just so glad 600 miles separate us, because I can imagine all these Facebook friends, you fight each other, you're like, you want to do lunch. And I'm like, uh, in eternity, maybe, but no, I don't have time for it. I mean, I've got more will than wallet, right? We've got, well, you can have more associations. And, and what happens is if, if we allow all these relationships to just line up into our relational file, we will be friends with no one because we are spread so thin. And there are, there are seasonal relationships that served a good purpose in their time, but they're not our close friends now and they can't be sustained because of time, location, or just the role and the place where you're in at that time. Uh, they were great to share a suite with in college, but with no longer anything in common for making that a friendship. And so social media can mess all that up. Uh, sometimes you have people who like, we're really good colleagues, but are we friends? I remember I was in seminary, and two guys who were, uh, were seminary professors, one of them thought it was a really close fellowship and friendship. They were teaching the Bible together. And so he just popped in on the other professor. <laughs> and the other professor uh, actually said, hey, please, don't ever do that again. Never. He's like, do what? Pop in on me, your work colleague. And, and, and it's like, sometimes, I mean, I admire his boldness, right? I'm from the Midwest where, like, we would never say that to anybody, but we would think it in our hearts intensely. Um, so, but the whole level of, 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 pop in, of, of a pop-in, of, of a friendship, we, we have to be discerning about the role, the, the lane that a person is in our life through, because sometimes we have conflict because people don't know what lane their relationship is in. So we're called to be friendly with everybody. We're called to love everybody, but right? Trust is earned. So like I remember, all of five of our children were born in Maryland, and I remember in, in that congregation, and there was a lot of turnover, and it was, it was a tremendous congregation and loved those people. But remember when our firstborn, you know, makes his first journey to church, like eight days after he's born, um, and we have all these volunteers to, to babysit him. And I'm like, babysit my son. Like, I'm not even sure I would let you water my tomatoes. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, because, well, right, it's church, right? We take everybody. <laughs> so, like, I don't know you. Now, I mean, it's possible over a course of time. First of all, let's see how you do with the goldfish, and then you can, you know, take care of our Dalmatian. Then you can, like, you, like, you, there be promotion. But, like, trust is earned, trust is built up over time. And, and, and so there's got to be the discernment of that and the development of that. Uh, Time, trust, and exposure. Uh, Time and exposure, build trust. Uh, And then there are some relationships that uh, are more reciprocal, where you have this back and forth flow, and others you're pouring into someone. Just because a relationship isn't giving you a lot doesn't mean you shouldn't be committed to it. That's not Christianity. Sometimes you really are. You're like pouring into someone who's in need, or maybe they they just need help. But it's not the same reciprocal relationship. And Jesus taught us this in the way he modeled real intimate friendship because the infinite Lord of glory, when he walked this earth, you know, everybody wanted to be Jesus' friend, not just Facebook friend. They really wanted to get close to him, uh, because if you can turn water into wine, people want you to come to their parties. Uh, if you can be fr- free food, right, um, he could heal people, and there's no deductible, and there's no copay. And, and so like, yes, everybody wanted, but they, were they his friends, or were they his fans? You know, they're, they're more fans, and some of them were fiends, right? And, and so we find Jesus invested. He loved everybody, but bringing to intimacy, he didn't bring everybody into intimacy. John 2 says Jesus did not entrust himself to, to all men because he knew what was in the heart of men. And then within them, he had 70 followers who he trained, um, and he had the 12 disciples, one of whom was a devil, <laughs> Judas. And then he had the intimate three, and then he had John. Uh, John was the was the beloved disciple and there was a reciprocity there and, and Jesus let John lay his head against his, his shoulder on those last night before he was betrayed and when Jesus was on the cross John's the one who made it everybody else is scattered and he says to John hey I'm dying so see my mom you're her son take care of her so like you know some people you say like hey if 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 my wife and I were to die, when we had young children, there were certain people who would say, hey, we want to put your names in the will like you would be the guardians. And they weren't necessarily relatives. <laughs> you know, because you know you really trust and there's this reciprocity and there's this return. And there's a re- return on investment. And I'm not saying people are investments, but I'm saying friendships, when they have intimacy, there's, there's a two-way highway that works there. And so you know, I mean, so there's, there's certain gas mileage, right? There's certain vehicles, like you don't want to drive because you got to pour tons of gas in it and it gets like eight miles a gallon. But if it's a Jeep Wrangler, it's cool because you can take the roof off and it's worth it. It takes a lot, but it gives a lot. And, and there are relationships like that. But then there's, then there's relationships that are like, it's like driving a, a, a Hugo, a Hugo right? From the, that little car from Yugoslavia. And it's like, yeah, I know it gets 58 miles a gallon, but it's uncomfortable. It's a pain to drive. It's not giving anything back except gas mileage. And, and, and so there's, there's relationships that we, we evaluate in terms of what lane. And sometimes we've got to open up new lanes in our lives to say, do we have reciprocal relationships? Do we have relationships that we're pouring into? Um, do we have relationships that pour into us? Uh, and again, these cat- these categories are, are important for us to, to discern. And, and we've got to make sure that we know the situation that we're in. Because the Bible tells us that if we walk with the wise, we'll become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And so when we really give someone the place of that two-way street and that place of intimacy, they're going to be influencing us. And we have we have to be aware of that. So when... Uh, I met my wife in seminary. Um, I fell pretty quick, and it was great to fall head over heels. doesn't sound like a good experience, but it was. I just loved every minute of it. Uh, and, but we had a little different strategy towards studying. Um, I was in my second year, and she was in her first year and hit with all the Greek and Hebrew and everything. And, and she wasn't always this way, but she viewed kind of studying like you would prepare for a classical music concerto, like every note counted, and you want to you know, get it all. And for me, it was kind of like, ah, it's jazz, um, and particularly, there were some subjects, like there was this Old Testament course where, and I'm sorry to disappoint you with this, but there was a part of the course that was studying Aramaic and Ugaritic uh, manuscripts, and it was only going to be a portion of our grade, a small, a small enough portion uh, that when we were studying for it, I felt, ah, you know, close enough for jazz, which for me, I'm not going to study at all. It's multiple choice, A, B, C, or D. I got a 25% chance if I mark A on all of them, I will get 25% for that part of the exam, which is fine with me. And my wife was like, I'm going to study all of it. And she wanted to master it, so she's in the library, I'm in the library, I'm like, hey, let's go for a walk. We just went for a walk. We have this test tomorrow. We gotta I said, I know, but nobody in the congregations I pastor are gonna ask me about Ugaritic and Aramaic pottery charts for what manuscript they are, I'm sorry. It's not gonna happen. Uh, And so I'm gonna punt on this, and let's take a walk. You know, let's play foosball. You don't even like foosball. Um, Like, what are you doing? So, but there's an impact there. So she probably got my grade up to 50%, which is better than, you know, she, maybe I brought her down to 75% uh, in that particular time. But what, what I was learning at that point is if you're in the pastorate, sometimes you got to punt. You, you say, I, I, I can't take on that. That's just, there's too much. And that's a lesson you learn. But, but relationships like that will influence you in the choices you make. When you, let, when you bring someone into the place of friendship, there is, there is an influence that is coming there. So, and and the Bible speaks about these three categories. Now, the good news is they're not permanent. That's both good and bad, because you can move from being wise to foolish to evil. And in fact, foolishness is a gateway to becoming evil. But you can also move from being evil to become wise. And Jesus specializes in that. Uh, And and so these categories are listed. We looked a little bit at the wise, foolish, and wicked. You can think of them of like the categories of if if foolish people, and I think the majority of people in the world are foolish, uh, they're like sheep. The wise person is like a shepherd. And wicked people are wolves. And so you deal with wolves differently than you deal with foolish sheep or wise shepherds. Uh, Foolish people collect burdens. Wise people lift burdens off of people. But evil people inflict burdens on others. And so we've gotta be clear about those categories. Um, The Bible says the wise are not the person who has it all together, but they're the person who knows they need to learn. And they have a learning posture. They view life as a classroom. It's always in session. I'm always taking notes. I'm always looking at ways to improve. That's the posture of a wise person. They don't have it all together, but they are eager and hungry to learn. Uh, They they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, It says, instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous, they'll add to their learning. If you have to correct a wise person, they thank you for it and the relationship is closer. But a foolish person resents you bringing that to their attention. A foolish person, they they do not adjust their life to the light you shine on it. They want to adjust the light to their life. A foolish person, the problem is never in the same zip code that they're living in. Uh, and, and so it leads to a sense of, of just frustration and futility and helplessness. And, and fools will not listen. Now, we all act like fools sometimes, but a fool will not listen, and so you have to up the ante. I, I saw someone from a couple of weeks when I talked about this, they took me literally and they decided, okay, we're having this recurring foolish discussion with uh, with one of our children about cleaning up the room and we're not going to talk anymore. And so this mom actually literally, she took that literally and she, instead of talking to her child about this, she made a sign. I don't know if they're here today, but she made a sign and put it up in the bedroom and said, until this room is clean, there will be like no, I forget what the disincentive was, there will be no Access to the kitchen, or no uh, game, uh, video games, or whatever it was. But it's like the conversation's over. Here's the consequence: deal with it, and you've got easy pass for what you want. Don't deal with it, and you don't. Well, that's that's how you deal with an area of life that you're being foolish, because you'll just you'll just make everybody mad and frustrated if you keep having the conversation. So again, fool uh, the fool is the person who doesn't listen. They actually may be very bright. They may be very good about evading responsibility. They may be very uh, conversational. So I, I think of an area, the, so we all have areas we act like fools. There are certain things we just don't want to hear. There are certain things we don't want to listen to. There are certain things we, have, we are incapacitated from listening to. So one that I le- recently realized in my life, so we drive cars and they, you know, those lights they have on the dashboard that tell you when you should check your gauges or your tire pressure short or whatever. Like, I don't listen to those. Um... <laughs> You know, because we drive older cars and those lights come on and I've taken them to the, uh, you know, into the mechanic. and The mechanic, ah, yeah, malfunctioning light. Uh, yeah, it'll be 70 bucks. Yeah, it's like, oh, really? Okay. So that happens to you enough. And then you hear a mechanic say, oh, yeah, those idiot lights. Have you heard them calling them idiot lights? So, well, they slandered them. So they slandered the messenger. So I'm not going to listen to an idiot because I'll be an idiot. So, so my wife has a little different perspective on this. So we're driving the car, you know, and she says, yeah, you know, that, um, I, that, that tire gauge light is shown said, it seems fine. So we, we get back to that, and she points out humbly, like, hey, you know, look how low that tire is. So a few days later, I take it to the uh, mechanic and he says, um, don't you have lights on the dashboard that tell you? Like, this light was, re- it was really low. And I'm like, what do you think I am, a mechanic? I'm not a mechanic. <laughs> um, but we have, we have voices that we, we dull and numb and, and this can happen to us, we can become foolish. You know, sometimes people have had experiences about points of information. Sometimes people had a bad experience with church, and so they say, I'm never going to listen to anything related to church. Somebody, sometimes people have had an experience where someone has misused the Bible unintelligently uh, without really caring to understand it. And they say, well, oh, no, that Bible, you know, I, I had this experience with. And so, so you, you, you dull yourself to it. And the Bible says that the, actually when we do that, we can put ourselves in the pattern not only of foolishness, but we can become a fool because we stop our ears. Um, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, the one who stiffens his neck after many rebukes will fall and be broken without remedy. It's a scary picture. The one who stiffens his neck after many rebukes. And so the fool is the person who, if all the people who they love and respect agree and tell them, hey, you've got an issue here, all the people they love and respect, they still they get themselves so hardened against it, they will not listen. And when that happens and they don't adopt a listening posture, the Bible says what awaits is they will be broken without remedy. And you see, that's when that's when foolishness leads to wickedness. Wickedness is not weakness. Wickedness is not the person who relapses out of weakness. Uh, wickedness is the person who will not get back up and will not own that. And 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 again, evil is is a descriptive of category of behavior and it can become a a dominant feature of our life and the category that god cannot help is the proud um i heard a great definition of humility it said the humble person is the person who opens up the portals of heaven into their life because they have a they have a learning posture that that's the wisdom of humility uh, but the evil person turns it off and some people say well i don't want to believe in a category of evil we live in a world so there's no such thing as evil well it's only the society and the world that has made people act this way it's the things that suffered that they suffered and that happened to them and well, i'm not saying those things aren't important but but eventually there's a choice to evil there's there's an embrace of evil if evil is just other people then we shouldn't imprison criminals we shouldn't imprison the neighbors of those criminals because they made them do it Right. And so so evil is this real is this real category. This this past week, I I attended our breaking addictions meeting. And I don't think there's a wiser, more Christ filled group in the church than that group, because there is there is the wisdom that has come through a humility and through a dependence and so I, I, I think of that group because they've, they've been cured of some of the foolishness. You know, one reason we love the Apostle Peter is because he had to make three mistakes before he could get it right. And we all, re- we can relate with that. We ought to admire that more and sink that in. Um, because the, so, you know, Peter, first of all, brags, I will, I'm ready to die with you, Jesus. <laughs> and, and I will never deny you. And he says, you're going to deny me three times. And it, because the first denial, he had to be cured of thinking he would always get it right. The second denial, he had to come to the place where he says, okay, I get it wrong a lot. The third denial was necessary to teach him that, Peter, you will always get it wrong until you declare it. You were complete helplessness and dependency upon Jesus Christ. And and so that's the place of wisdom. And so there was a talk at the Breaking Addiction seminar by by a man who, everything's confidential here, but I can tell you that everything shared in that room is kept secret and safe. It's a safe place. but, But the main talk was by a man who was just saying, look, Uh, this has been my journey towards sobriety. And he shared that uh, even after a long period of sobriety, he was tempted to pull, and he actually pulled into the parking lot uh, of a store that sold alcohol, and he was ready to go in and get that drink. And he said the thing that kept him out was to realize how excruciatingly difficult the climb back into sobriety was. And he's like, I really don't want to go through that again. And so he gave this incredible, humble talk about how he's completely, always, forever looking out of himself to Jesus Christ. And someone uh, in the group had said, um, they, they didn't hear it because he quickly said, you know, I've been sober for like 31 years. They said, you know, how's it been these two years? And he says, it's not been two years, it's been 31. But, but what I found striking about that is he spoke about 31 years of sobriety as if he could fall the next minute. <laughs> Uh, And and that's what the Bible says. Again, the wise person takes heed. It says, let him who stands take heed, lest he fall. The wise person says, I've got to have people around me. I've got to have people speaking into my life. I've got to continue to look out of myself to Christ. That's a person who's wise. Uh, And and so these are the the categories uh, of of wisdom. Uh, And the evil person is the person who, again, uh, we have to take a different strategy with. Because they are sabotaging not only the relationship, but they, they are purposely, they, they have now entrenched themselves in a situation. And not only no more, conse- no more conversations, but also no more discussion of consequences. They are out of our reach to redeem them. doesn't mean they're out of God's reach, but they're out of our reach to redeem them. And, and they take pleasure, basically, in doing wrong. And they, they bring disaster into the gatherings that they frequent. And, and for some of us, we really have got to listen to what the Bible says about this. In Titus chapter 3, it talks to a young pastor, Titus, and I wish I'd taken these verses seriously in my early ministry. And he says, avoid foolish controversies and arguments. And then it says in verse 10, it says, reject a factuous man after a first and second warning and then have nothing to do with him. And I don't know whether it's just because I grew up in a small town or naivete or whatever, but uh, you know, I like to give, I like trust people immediately and give them 39 warnings. And Titus 3 says, no, two, two. So this is a man who who really was poisonous, toxic. Uh, Everywhere he went, he evoked conflict. I mean, there were gentle people in this church who were ready to like physically do violence to him. He just had this gift of just exacerbating division and conflict. Uh, And so we had to get to a point. uh, It wasn't just two conversations. We probably did have more like 39 conversations, which was unbiblical and wrong and not loving to him. This guy actually got thrown out of a Dunkin' Donuts and and with an edict he should never be allowed to go back there. I mean, it was that bad, this prevailing pattern of evil. Um, but because we dallied so long, some of it spread and took some other people with it. There was bitterness in his life from the way he had been treated. And the, here's the reality about bitterness. If you're bitter, you will not be able to contain it. Bitterness always finds a way to share it with someone. That's what happens. That's why it has to be dealt with. And so this guy, we, so when someone is in this category, you don't, Try to redeem the situation you pray for them and you you hand them over so in the church at corinth also there was a man there who was committed to a path of evil and he says the church has to basically put him out of fellowship and, and again this is part of what love does but it says so that his flesh will be destroyed and his spirit will be saved because he's just a contaminant he is sabotaging on purpose and here's the reality you shouldn't make that decision all alone right we live in a world that where like, there's a bunch of books written about how to identify the toxic people in your life, and the toxic people in your life are the people who haven't read the same book that is telling you about toxic people. Um, and, and so all of a sudden, we have people going around and saying, hey, th- I think this person is toxic. They're uncomfortable, so I'm going to get rid of them from my life. So it can be they, didn't, they don't root for the same sports team or uh, they voted for a different politician. Oh, yeah, they're so, all these politicians are so likable. They're worth breaking dear relationships over. You know? and, and this kind of stuff, and it, they're ridiculous. But what they do is they're appointing one individual who just says, this person makes me uncomfortable. I don't like them. I'm going to cut them out of my life. And sometimes it's moms and dads and people who you, you aren't allowed to do that to. But, but but there are proper boundary lanes. And also, when someone's in this category, you need to have some other people get involved. And sometimes that'll help you if you're being too naive. Or other people say, hey, you know what? This pattern, it's not going to change. And you are not their savior. And so this has the need of a kind of necessary ending. Uh, and so these people, are, they're bullies. They're evil. You could talk about narcissists. Uh, These are all kind of labels. The narcissist, uh, bully, evil person is just all wrapped up in their own place. And so what I want to close with is uh, six categories of relationships. And this comes from a book by Henry Cloud, a really wise Christian psychologist uh, who also wrote the book Boundaries. And it lists the kind of combinations of relationships that we can be in. Uh, And so the first one is the wise and foolish. Now, look, this is actually not a bad relationship as long as the wise person is the one in charge, which if they're wise, they will be. If the wise person is not in charge of this relationship, then it's no longer a wise and foolish person. It's two fools. But the wise and foolish relationship has a parental nurturing role. And so you're helping bring some transformation there. But the wise and foolish relationship is a distortion if that turns into being the dynamic of a marriage Sometimes because of addiction or unteachability or character flaw, one, one party in the relationship that is meant marriage is meant to be between two equal partners who, who make beautiful harmony together as equals, right? But, but if one becomes kind of the overseer and a parental role to the other, that's a bad dynamic. That's why I, I never say if there's an, a habit or addiction that uh, one person in the marriage should make the other person their accountability partner, that does this to something that's meant to be parallel. Uh, and, and so wise and foolish, though, are part, that's what Jesus did with the disciples. He recruited a bunch of fools uh, and, and he invested in them to bring them to wisdom. And so wise, wise and foolish is this kind of parental relationship. Um, wise and evil, and again, in this kind of relationship, the wise will prove to be wise by there'll be distance. Uh, the wise person will recognize that that person in that pattern is in a situation where uh, they're going to have limited access, very limited access, uh, and and so there's going to be clear clear boundaries in that because of the disposition of the person who who would do evil. Uh, because again, you give a give an evil person power and access, and and they will abuse it. Well, then the third category is foolish and foolish, and and again. Fools tend to find each other. We tend to find people who agree with us in our area of foolishness, if it's a compartment. And basically, fools and foolish, they're codependent relationships where there's no progress in life. So the two dorm buddies who decide to drink their way through college or get high together or or squander their opportunities. And so neither lifts the other one back up and it's just this downward spiral. And it can be on the very precipice of, of one or both of them becoming evil. Uh, but it's this kind of of mutual uh, commitment to make no progress, uh, and and I remember uh, I was about twelve years old, and I remember I fell into some foolishness, and by falling into uh, a foolish crowd and being a fool myself, and there it, it was it was a football game, it was like Friday Night Lights, kind of like here in Doylestown, and there's a huge pile of dirt they were doing some construction and so instead of watching the game enticed by some older friends who i felt you know complimented by i felt uh lifted up by that they were invited me into their company we got up there and and we decided to make some mud clouds and to throw it at the opposing team's fans and maybe some of the players if they were in shot and instead of watch the game and this was uh this was not a wise thing to do besides because i mean everybody knew who was who in this town but anyway also the other fans some of them were 18 20 22 year olds and they had great arms to throw and aim and i was 12 years old just on a little clod and they were like Get in these clods and so one wailed at me and it hit me right in the eye like whoop, exploded My eyes full of mud, little rocks and stuff. uh, All these abrasions. Like I had a shiner for over a week, and I remember washing, trying to wash it off in the bathroom, and and saying, "What happened?" And I said, "I don't want anybody to know. I'm going to be in big trouble with my dad, who happened to be the superintendent of schools." (laughs) And um, all of this, you know. and, And and so I remember, you know, like my dad talking to me and like saying, "How did we get here? Like you always watch the game, and you like like, what happened?" And again, you know, he, he wasn't the kind of, he's like, hey, don't hang out with the wrong, wrong crowd, but he's also like, don't be the wrong crowd, right? It's, it's kind of ridiculous for, you know, there to be a prayer meeting of five parents and all their kids are best friends and they're all engaging in foolishness and saying, we're praying that our kids won't hang out with foolish kids. <laughs> it's like, well, who's the foolish kids? All of them. So, so there's this participation in that. And in all kinds of ways, uh, we, again, people who counsel shop, right, I've had so many people who counsel, they're looking for someone who will agree to ratify the foolish course that they're on, and they keep shopping until they get someone to tell them uh, what they want to hear so that they can do it, uh, and that's foolish. Fourth is foolish and evil. Um, so so an evil person will often look for a foolish person uh, to take advantage of them. So all kinds of abuse. Um, sexual abuse. Um, the oppression of people economically, uh, even rulers in a country that oppress their people. Um, they are evil people who are taking hold of the powerless and, and, and bringing them into this cycle. But, but when it's this one-on-one relationship, what always happens, and I got this from Andy Crouch, who's just a brilliant writer about relationships and culture, and he says, wherever there's an abusive relationship, one of the parties has exalted them to the place of God, and they are taking a place that belongs to God only, and they are degrading the other person below the basis they have as an image bearer of God. And whenever there is abuse going on, that's that's what happens. And often it entraps the weak, the vulnerable children uh, in these kind of abusive relationships. And an evil person looks for that because an evil person is parasitic. They they suck the life out of someone else. It's it's all one way, and it goes their way. They're twisted. And then fifth, the evil and evil person. And this is a dangerous relationship. And we sometimes say that that was a match made in heaven for good things because God brings people together. He brings marriages together or friendships together. So iron sharpens iron and good things happen. But I think the devil does it too. He brings evil people together. So again, often it'll be a bad experience toward some something that they have in common. So it's like, oh, I hate those people too. Let's get together. Or I'm greedy the way you're greedy too. Let's get together. And so it multiplies evil. And, and again, when, when you have a toxic experience and you haven't resolved it, um, it's, it's going to leak out. Again, there's no such thing as a bitter person who can keep the bitterness to themselves. That's why the Bible says, we think bitterness is not a big deal, but it's like bitterness is a, is a root, Right? And he says, beware, that's the root of bitterness. He says, well, it's not a big deal. It's buried. It can't really see it, or whatever. No, it springs up and it defiles many. If it's not dealt with, there will soon be other people singing the same song. And that's the way it always works out. And so a lot of times people become evil because of unresolved trauma in their life. We're dealing with, we're talking about trauma in our church a lot. Um, and again, the, the trauma was not their fault. They were a victim, but the processing of it leads them uh, to uh, a victim, bitter uh, trajectory that all of a sudden locks them into this narrative, and it can, it can cause them move, to move from unforgiveness to bitterness to resentment to hatred uh, to perpetuate e- evil. And dangerous people can find each other. And, and that's why evil people can wear us out because they're actually, you know, if, if a Christian is spirit filled, an evil person can fuel off the demonic energy, and so they never tire. They're not fatigued. They're, they are just energized by all the conflict and all of the difficulty. And, and that's why the Bible tells us that you've got to have nothing to do. There comes a point where sometimes evil has to be extracted. Uh, and you say, well, that, that, that hurts. I'm not good at that. I don't think Christians should delight in having to remove someone from their life. But here's the reality. Um, sometimes there's bleeding when you cut a cancer. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a cancer cut out of me. If you had asked me, I felt better the day before than I did the day of that surgery. But I was actually in serious trouble before that was removed, and I was healthy and have been healthy since it was removed. So, so sometimes there are is the remedy is, is extraction. Did Jesus have a relationship with an evil person? He did. It was Judas. He gave him every opportunity. He even ministered to him the Lord's Supper and said, "Come, take the bread, the the cup of the new covenant." Um, he offered it Judas to dip his bread, into the cup. And, and then when Judas persisted, and it says that Satan entered into the heart of Judas, Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. He, was like, this is the, he had a closure conversation. He had a transition conversation with Peter, who was acting foolishly. He says, Peter, hey, do you love me? I want to restore you. He had an exit conversation with Judas and says, this is the last conversation you will ever have with the Son of Glory. And what you're about to do, do quickly. And and so that's a seriousness of, of evil. And, and then the final one is there's the wise and the wise. And those are the kind of relationships that are mutually pouring into each other. Again, that's not the person who has it all together, but it's the person who knows that they are desperate to keep Christ at the center of, of their life, to be a perpetual learner, to keep humility as the source that opens up that opens up heaven. And the reality is this morning, we, we can only have relationships with people who are living out these different compartments. And in our own life, we can be flirting with foolishness that if we don't deal with it, could lead us to evil. I mean, I've known many people who fell into drug addiction from one time that couldn't be the last time. They couldn't do it once, and they, they would have said, I'll never steal from my mom. I'll never steal from my grandma. But all of a sudden, they are. Why? They move from being foolish by not dealing with their addiction to the point where then they started to welcome evil into their life. That's the way it works, folks. Few people say, I want to become evil. <laughs> Few people say, I don't, I don't have this, I have this unresolved trauma. I'm not going to resolve it. I'm going to become bitter. I'm going to become a fiend. The, the reality is we have to resolve those things. And when we bring them to the Lord, the, the, you know, all the superhero movies show this, right? That often they had some trauma. Well, the villain also had so, some trauma. But, but the trauma, the horrible thing that happened to Batman made him Bruce Wayne and, you know, the, the Avenger of evil. But the horrible thing that happened to the Joker, because it wasn't processed, made him the Joker, Uh, And and, and so we have to process those things. And so we stand in development. We're not in a static position. But the wonderful good news of the gospel is that Jesus can take the fool and make them wise and he can take the evil person and make them wise. And that's what he specializes in. (laughs) And we wouldn't have this Bible and this New Testament if it weren't for for Jesus' power to take evil people and make them wise. You know, the person who wrote 17 of the letters of the New Testament and who wrote the bulk of the New Testament, the most influential Christian, was very evil. His name was, was Saul of Tarsus. He was not only putting to death Christians, he says, I formerly was a blasphemer and a persecutor and I was a murderer. And the book of Acts tells us he didn't just persecute. Christians, but he took it to the next level and he would have women dragged away from their home, making children orphans. He would, he, he would destroy old families. He would, he took it to a new level of occupation and persistence. And Christ intercepted him at Damascus Road and, and caused him to respond to his glory and to surrender his life and to show him what he would he would offer and suffer in response to Christ's suffering for him and transformed him. There are countless stories of that where Christ intercepts and brings a person into a new status. And so as we close, I want us to say, Lord, where do you need me to open up my ears to either how I'm managing relationships? Do I have wise people who can say hard things to me? And am I sharing my wisdom with others? Is, is, Is there this mutuality? Am I in community? Am I in relationship? Have I invested? How am I managing? Am I acting more like a sheep or a shepherd? Or God forbid a wolf? And I'm the wolf have access to me? Uh, how am I handling those relationships and, and how am I handling myself? And is there an area that I need to bring in repentance? It really is a call to say, repent of wherever there's a temptation to foolishness. Repent where you're dallying with sin, where you think it's a toy, but it will become a tyrant and it will take over. And to bring those things to Jesus because... Authenticity is something His grace will never resist. Honesty, His grace will never resist. His grace comes into that situation and say, I've been foolish. I've processed things wrong. I've not accepted people who really can help me process this right. I've not been in community. And He can, he can bring us a wholeness in our relationships, and He can make us a source and a fount of wholeness to other people. And that comes through the cross, that comes through what Jesus did. He died for our foolishness, He bore the price of evil. And he did it so that we can live a life of wisdom in dependence upon him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder of who you are, that you are a God who delights to make wise the foolish, to save us from the devices and desires of our own human heart, uh, and to make us new. And Lord, you don't even plant those abilities, and then leave us, but you call us to a life of dependence upon you. As the vine draws its life, uh, as the branch draws its life from the vine, Lord, we're to draw our life from you. You're our our source of life, vitality, health, righteousness, holiness. And Lord, we would just want to open both of our hands to you. One hand represents, Lord, our management of our own lives, and we would just want to relinquish anything foolish, any open portal for evil, we just want to relinquish it to you and say, God, we we want to invite you in. We want to invite wise people in. We want to give ourselves over to you. And on the other hand, we, we offer to you all our relationships, Lord. And we pray that we might stand in that position of dependent wisdom, humble wisdom that opens our life to be informed by the wisdom of heaven. So Lord, we we just want to close with a song that celebrates the price that redeems us as well as our hope to be like Jesus Christ. Here this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.